Welcome to Fatal Fortunes. A show where we talk about people, places, and misfortunate events. Let's, let's do it. I don't know right. much about ye old Robin Williams. Uh, he is my mom's high school yearbook quote. Something from the Dead Poet Society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's kind of all I know about him. Other than I... Mrs. Doubtfire was a movie. Mm-hmm. You've seen Aladdin. Oh, of course I've seen Aladdin. Right, right, of course. I have to be honest here. I haven't seen Dead Poet Society, but after doing all this research, I, I think I probably should, because I know everyone loves it, and it's it's apparently a classic, so I definitely should get on that. Well, yeah, let's get into uh, Robin Williams, but first we got to find out what's happening in the year he was born, 1951. Ooh, I don't think we've done that year. I know. This, I mean, there were a lot of things happening this year. There were a lot of births, not not too many deaths. Well, yeah, um, it's the boomers. But yeah, there were a lot of a lot of famous people born this year. So let's get into it. Uh, what was happening in 1951? We've got the first jet passenger trip made. I don't know. It didn't say where, but jets. Hell yeah. Um, back to the country where Al and I first met in the Netherlands, they used the lie detector for the first time. The United States, um, not all in this year, but they started testing nuclear weapons in Nevada, and that did end up being 126 tests. And this was the year where they made the first telecast of an atomic explosion. They're not the only country to do this in this year. The USSR also tests their nuclear weapons, and Stalin announces that they are armed. Belgium says no to communists on the radio. Get out of here. Don't even say anything about communism on the radio. On the opposite side of that, a uh, little more progressive, we've got Kwame Nkrumah and his Convention People's Party. They win in a landslide election in Ghana. He gets assassinated too, right? He does get assassinated later on. Honestly, he could probably be a pretty good fatal fortune because he's got a very interesting life. This this next one was only because my mom was talking about this person today, and I don't expect you to know who Victor Borga is at all, but his show premieres and ends in that same year in 1951. I don't know if it was, you know, 1950 version of limited series, but he was a pianist who, um, who like, incorporated comedy. He would, like, fall off the piano bench a lot, apparently. Sugar Ray Robinson defeats Jake LaMotta. If you've ever seen Raging Bull... That, that happened in 1951. New York City passes a bill prohibiting racism in city-assisted housing. thought that was interesting because wouldn't have even thought that that was uh, really implemented, especially in 1951. That's pretty early. That's pretty I know. It early. seems very early. Uh, wages in France increased by 11%. Whew. I'd love an 11%. I bet taxes increased by 12 Well. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, hopefully only for the rich, though. Everyone that drove, I bet, every oh. six, or or teachers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the ones who uh, need their tax money the most, probably. The first in-color telecast of a horse race happens in 1951. For media releasing, we've got Alice in Wonderland, Rashomon. An American in Paris, a streetcar. It is so good. It is a great movie. You got a streetcar named Desire, The Day the Earth Stood Still, 
and I Love Lucy also Why premieres this year. Why is Rashomon the only thing of all the stuff you've listened I've actually seen? I don't know. You haven't seen Alice in Wonderland? Yeah, I have. I've seen Okay. That. For deaths this year, as I said, there, there weren't too many um, really notable one william randolph hurts the newspaper man oh, good riddance yeah i was I, just thinking I about him today to be honest oh god why why um so i know you don't watch real housewives my football but um miss erica jane she's had she's had a rough couple seasons and you know i think she's guilty and yeah. i was thinking she always gets mad when people bring up the la times article that was about her i'm like girl it's not like we live in yellow journalism. It's not like William Randolph Hearst runs the LA Times. There, mm-hmm. ha- like the journalism about you has to be a little bit credible, girl. That guy died this year, along with uh, Mildred Bailey, who is a really good jazz singer. For marriages, we Ooh. have W. E. B. Dubois, Doris Day, Janet Lee, Maya Angelou, Ray Charles, Frank Sinatra, somehow Margaret Thatcher. They all get married. Why somehow um, Margaret Thatcher? Uh, many reasons. Uh, how, <laughs> so. Al, stupid question. The people who got divorced that year, though, Charles Schultz, uh, the illustrator for Peanuts, Elizabeth Taylor, and Frank Sinatra, who got married that year, but he divorced his first wife in that same year. I love that. For births, we've got Phil Collins. We've got... Oh, Harry wow. Lane, I didn't right? realize Phil Collins was that young. He's in terrible shape. It's wild to think about all of the people that were born the same year as Robin Williams, and most of these people are still alive. Mm-hmm. So you've got Phil Collins. You've got Harry Wayne Casey of Casey and the Sunshine Band. You've got Kurt Russell, Steven Seagal, Luther Vandeross, Sally Ride, Jill Biden, Stellan Skarsgård, <laughs> Angelica Huston, Michael Keaton, Mark Hamill, Sting, and Catherine Bigelow. Just so they're all born. People. Big year for 1951. I guess that year of births, you know, has has grit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about the main man of 1951, Robin Williams. And he's born on July 21st. That is also my sister's birthday. But a little earlier. Uh, Isn't that also the day that Diana and Charles got married? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. So he's born in July 1951 in Chicago, and his father, Robert, was a senior executive at Ford's Lincoln Mercury division. My first car was actually a Mercury Grand Marquis and got got totaled, but, um, oh you know, God. that's neither here nor there. Oh, Robin, Robin's uh, so mother, that was not their wedding anniversary. Their wedding anniversary is the 29th of July. Oh, close. Robin's mother, Lori, was a former model from Jackson, Mississippi. And Ooh, he that's had, tough. He had two older half-brothers, Robert and McLaurin, which I was like, McLaurin? That's a last name. but That's a terrible name. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, <laughs> they're, they're half-brothers. I don't know. <laughs> I, I couldn't get into the whole story of who's, whose child they were, but it wasn't his mom's. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't her idea. Wasn't her idea. And Robin actually often credits his mother for his sense of humor and especially as a reason for him wanting to make people laugh. He always, you know, wanted her attention. So he loved her sense of humor. He attended public school in Lake Forest and was described as quiet and shy. That was until high school 
where he joined the drama department. Cool. He remained Peter in Chicago. Oh, of course. I mean, take take one look at him. He's a th- he's a theater kid through and through. He remained in Chicago until his father was transferred to Detroit when Robin was about 12. Oh, that sucks. So this was in late 1963. Well, that's and... probably when Detroit was pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when it got not nice, but I know RoboCop is based After, on um, Detroit. Some of the factories closed. Mm-hmm. Well, this was in late 1963, and the family stayed there in uh, in this outer suburb of Detroit in this huge 40-room farmhouse. Like, 40 rooms? I can't even imagine. Imagine heating that. I know. Gotta have good firewood. But <laughs> here, Robin, he starts at a private school now in Bloomfield Hills, where he hey, excelled... Bougie. In academia, he wrestled and even became class president. With both of his parents working, Robin was partially raised by the family maid until his father retired, and then they moved again when he was 16. So now the family is living in Tiburon, California. He finished school in 1969. Do we know where Tiburon is in? Okay, but when I when I think of California, I think of where my grandparents are from. And they're from Eureka, which is like way, way north. That's like almost Oregon. Yeah. So that anything other than that just seems south. But you're right. San Francisco is in the middle of the state. And Tiburon is, is, yeah, a, a, a suburb outside of San Francisco. Okay. So the family is now living in Tiburon, California. And he finishes school in 1969, where he's voted most likely not to succeed and funniest. That's so fucked student. up. It is. It's ridiculous how they had these uh, superlatives. And I feel lucky that my school didn't have anything that uh, that negative. After high school, he studied political science at Claremont's Men's College, where he shortly dropped out to pursue acting. He studied acting at the College of Marin in Kentfield for three years. And a professor there saw his talent immediately, especially when Robin was cast in the production of Oliver as Fagin. This uh, actually made me think, did you ever see that movie August Rush? No. With uh, Freddie Highmore, he plays this like prodigy musician. And it is when he's like, yeah, still a little kid. Very, very cute. He's still ageless, though. He still does look like a little boy. But Robin Williams plays this character that is Fagin-esque. So it's it's really cool to see that he could still do that character decades Mm -hmm. later. And here at the school, he often improvised and made his fellow actors break character quite a lot. By 1973, Robin had a full scholarship to Julia, where he and... 20 other freshmen, including Christopher Reeve, Mandy Patinkin, and William Hurt, had also been accepted into their acting program. So Robin and Christopher were actually like really close friends up until Christopher Reeve uh, died in 2004. And they, they had a dialect class together where Professor Edith Skinner was just astounded at how quickly Robin could switch voices, accents, and this is great, but not all professors liked Robin. Notably, the main acting teacher, Michael Kahn, thought his antics were just simple stand-up routines. Ooh. So during this time at Juilliard, he worked as a busboy until 1976, when the very man who accepted 
Robin into the school told him this institution has nothing more to offer you. And another teacher, no, Gerald, what? there was this other teacher, Gerald Freeman, that said very similar things, stating that the school's conservative and classical style of training just wouldn't suit him. So no one was so really what surprised. So what they do once he became the shit? Did they throw themselves from heights? Like They, they made a big mistake um, by not letting Robin be Robin. And this was, on, this was why no one was surprised when he left in 1976. Robin started right away with stand-up comedy after leaving Juilliard, doing his first show at the Holy City Zoo in San Francisco in 1976. This was actually a spot that he was working the bar at and worked his way up to get to perform there. A year later, he moves to Los Angeles and starts performing at the Comedy Store, where he's seen by producer George Schlatter, who asks him to appear on his show, Laugh In, with a hyphen in the middle, Laugh laugh In. And this was Robin's debut TV performance. Although the show failed, it launched Robin's TV career while he still performed at comedy clubs like the Roxy. With that first show, he was noticed by Gary Marshall, another producer, who gave him a part in an episode of Happy Days, called My Favorite Orkin, where Robin plays this alien named Mork from the planet Ork. The production was so impressed with how zany this character was that just four days later, before any competitors got a hand on him, Robin had a contract. And this was most likely because when he was asked to sit during one of their early meetings, Robin chose to sit on his head, which what? La- it later became a staple of the alien uh, Mork, among other odd traits like drinking through his finger and having a hypersensitive earlobe. Almost, uh, I hate art sometimes. Yeah, it was. It's it's an interesting, uh, weird show from the late seventies, and and this results in that show called Mork and Mindy, with Pam Dauber playing Mindy, and that ran from nineteen seventy eight to nineteen eighty two, and it had. It, this has a weekly audience of 60 million people. It's got more crossovers with characters from Happy Days and later the show Laverne and Shirley. It's really weird to think about how um, now we're in this age of all of these big production companies wanting to have these crossovers and cinematic universes. And a few decades before, Happy Days was doing this with Mork and Mindy. So this show boosts Robin to superstar status and was very popular among young people, with Mork even being featured on the cover of Time magazine. Oh, wow. With the success of Mork and Mindy, Robin began to reach a much wider audience with his stand-up and thus recorded three HBO specials. During this time, however, the party scene and stress definitely got to him, so he did start to use alcohol and drugs. Yeah, ooh, it's going to get dark. Ooh. Yes, I, that's a little tease for what we're going to get into down the line. He claimed he never performed while intoxicated, but definitely hungover. And on the topic of touring with comedians, Robin said this. It's a brutal field, man. They burn out. It takes its toll. Plus the lifestyle, partying, drinking, drugs. If you're on the road, it's even more brutal. Although he was dealing with a lot of pressure... Robin was sure he would never run out of material. And this was partly due to his use of free associating, which is basically just, you know, thinking of whatever comes off the top of your head 
reacting to uh, whatever's happening around you. And in improv, it's called like, yes, and that was his whole thing. But this did get him into trouble with some comedians claiming he was stealing their jokes. Notably, uh -oh. Whoopi Goldberg actually stood up and defended him. And in order to deter these rumors, Robin stops attending comedy shows. Of That's so other sad, comedians. though. It is, because if you're someone who loves comedy, you're going to want to go see some comedy. But yeah, he didn't want people to think he was going to these shows to get material. So he just stopped altogether. So once his television career picked up, movies started to notice him. And after that success of Mork and Mindy, his first big role as the titular character, Popeye, uh, happened in 1980. I didn't know that. You've never seen Popeye? It I is. Guess, I, I'm great. a heathen, dude. I don't. I haven't How? heard of. I've heard of one movie we've talked about. One. This film was mostly reviewed negatively, though. Um, okay. But it does have a huge cult following, and I I remember Roger Ebert saying that his co-star Shelley Duvall was like born to play olive oil, and she's great in it, and he's great in it, and. Unfortunately, that director, I'm forgetting his name right now, uh, that movie kind of killed his career because of the what? reception of it. But I like it. it it's a fun movie. It's it's Weird. nothing that's going to challenge you, but it's it's fun. It's <laughs> Don't worry, Al. You won't be challenged at all by this film. Just Definitely so not. Like it. Definitely not. <laughs> so the next major role that he had was in Good Morning Vietnam which earned him a nomination for Best Actor in 1987. In this film, the producer, Mark Johnson, said that Robin was incredible and that, quote, we just let the cameras roll. And Williams managed to create something new for every single take. He played this, you know, radio shock jockey during the Vietnam War, trying to get people's hopes up with comedy. And he does all of his impressions that you hear him do Later, I'll talk about Aladdin, but he does his Walter Cronkite. and Okay, okay, wait. He can do anything. Rewind. Mm. Popeye did not end Robert Altman's career. It didn't. It definitely no. hurt it, though. Like, he still made movies after that. I mean, he didn't make another movie, it seems, for 12 years. But That's, uh, that's, a, long, that's a long time to not make anything. 12 or years not have a, a successful time. one. He, right. he made other movies between then and then, but he did not have another successful one. Yeah, successful that one. Uh, um, Pop Popeye did not bode well for him, I don't think. I'm like, Even I if it didn't destroy him. This Robert Altman slander. Okay. I won't I'm not I'm not slandering him. I'm saying that Hollywood slandered him for this yeah. movie. After Good Morning Vietnam. This kind of catapults him into more serious roles like Dead Poets Society, Awakenings, yep. and Goodwill Hunting. Also, haven't seen that one. Goodwill Hunting's pretty good, especially for a Boston movie. It's nice to see, you know, the Garden and some other landmarks. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. The Garden is like a huge part in the movie, and that bench I'll talk about later. Oh, okay. He okay. went on to play Peter Pan in the phenomenal movie Hook. Have you seen Hook, Al? Damn. I don't know. <laughs> you gotta see Hook. Hook is great. Um, Dustin Hoffman plays Captain Hook, and Robin Williams plays Peter Pan. And it's Steven Spielberg, so it's it's very magical. 
Very fun 90s movie. Damn, that movie made money. And it made money. But his filmography, Robin Williams, it's radical in terms of all the different kinds of characters he played. He plays uh, in One Hour Photo, this obsessive, emotionally disturbed photo technician. The Angriest Man in Brooklyn has him as, you know, the angriest man in Brooklyn. And in Insomnia, that has him portray a murderer on the run, which is just so different and coming from an alien who sat on his head. And this would garner him various awards, like Best Supporting Actor for Goodwill Hunting, and it got him two more nominations for acting in The Fisher King and Dead Poets Society. Robin didn't only lend his physical acting, but his voice acting was also sought after by many animators. Of course, most know him as the genie in Aladdin, which does have an interesting story behind it. Robin didn't want the role at first because he didn't want the movie to promote itself on his name, specifically when it came to selling merchandise. He says, quote, I'm doing it basically because I want to be part of this animation tradition. I want something for my children. One deal is I just don't want to sell anything as in Burger King, as in toys, as in stuff. Well, they probably got a a genie happy meal because Disney did not honor this agreement at all. Um, They did sell toys and they did promote this movie off of Robin Williams name. And because of that, um, he declines to do the sequel as the genie in this direct to video Aladdin sequel. But when Disney gets a new chairman, Joe Roth, uh, Roth issues an apology to Robin, maybe so that he would work as the genie again. And he does in the third film, another direct to video Aladdin and the King of Thieves. That was direct to video. Sad. Direct to video. Both of the both of those sequels were direct to video. Dude, there are going to be people alive who are almost like cognizant adults that have no idea what direct to video means. <laughs> True. We, guys, we used to have this thing called videotapes. Yeah, they were really you could chunky. Buy them you had at to Target. Sometimes spin the little things on the back if it was loose. Yep. You always had to make sure to rewind it. Yeah. Didn't want him anywhere near magnets. His voiceover work also appears in the animated film Fern Gully, Robots, Happy Feet, and also an uncredited performance in Everyone's Hero, which I haven't seen, but I know it's about the baseball and the baseball bat and the kid, and it came out sometime in the 2000s, but I I never saw it. Apparently, he's in it. His last on-screen appearance would be for his third time portraying Teddy Roosevelt in the Night of the Museum series. And he was a good Teddy Roosevelt. I I think that um, he made Teddy Roosevelt a very likable person. Um, And I I don't remember exactly his last line in that third movie, but it came out right after he died. people reposted it a lot. And people were very moved by it, yeah. (laughs) Let me try and find it. Smile, my boy. It's sunrise. Yeah. It's really interesting. I know a lot of people talk about how they'll revisit Robin Williams's work and and try to see like where where did this depression come from? Like why are you feeling this way? And like what are the warning signs? But it's not it's going different. to comedy shows. It's it's different for everyone, and there are a lot of factors in play. Right? It's it's hard to just boil it down to one thing. Getting disrespected, disrespected by disney i don't know i think how could you be 
a funny man who can't go to a comedy show. That sounds that's fate worse than death to me. And and also, how can you be funny all the time? Which I think yeah. was why it was nice that he got a lot of these more serious roles because you can really see that yeah, this this guy is a person just like anyone else, and there's a range of emotions that people can feel. Onto his personal life, he uh, marries his first wife. Valerie Velarde in 1978, who he met when he was still working as a bartender at the Holy City Zoo. Yo. Together they have one son named Zach, but that marriage ends 10 years later in 1988. One year later, Robin ends up marrying Zach's nanny, Marcia Garces. Uh-oh. There's some controversy about was he seeing this person while he was married to Valerie. Valerie says... No, this happened after our divorce. It happened quick sure. because it it was only a year later. Um, and it, it seems like they got to move on quickly because I think in that same year, Zelda, Robin's daughter, is born. And he has another child with Marsha, Cody. But he and Marsha split in 2008. His hey, third I'd wife, call that a successful marriage. Yeah. He's, he's got he's got three great kids, uh, two two with Marsha, one with uh, with Valerie, and then he has his third marriage, where he marries graphic designer Susan Schreider in 2011. And of course, I do have to mention that little tidbit that yes, Robin's daughter is indeed named after the titular character in the Legend of Zelda series. Really, There's... I was hoping it was Zelda Fitzgerald. Nope. It is the video game character, Zelda. There there are some cool commercials uh, with Zelda Williams for, I don't remember what Zelda game it was that was coming out with Nintendo, mm-hmm. but she's a fan. I, I think okay. she's she's owning that name. So now going on to the more depressing part of this episode, uh, his health. And it's, it's, it's a very serious matter that... As stated before, he was addicted to various drugs, specifically cocaine. And this was something that made him incredibly paranoid, as cocaine does. And the birth of his son, Zach, he said, was a wake-up call, along with the death of his friend, John Belushi, who was also lost to drugs. Robin checked himself into rehab in 2006 as a struggling alcoholic, and then again in mid-2014. He checks himself into rehab those two times. And along with all of this, he's also got heart conditions. He's got an irregular heartbeat, and that gets him admitted to the Cleveland Clinic for a surgery in 2009. The last few years of his life were very, very tough health-wise, as he developed something called Lewy bodies, which may have been misdiagnosed as Parkinson's. His wife, Susan, said that from 2013 onward, his stress, anxiety, fear, insomnia all skyrocketed, which worsened to create memory loss, paranoia, and delusions. She claims he kept saying, I just want to reboot my brain. He was losing his mind and he was aware of it. Oh, that's so sad. Robin suffered from severe depression also. And so on August 11th, 2014, Robin's body was found in his home in Paradise Bay at the age of 63. The official autopsy revealed he died due to hanging and no substances were found in his system. His widow Susan had this to say, however you look at it, 
the presence of Louis bodies took his life. We as a culture don't have the vocabulary to discuss brain disease in the way we do about depression. Depression is a symptom of LBD, and it's not about psychology. It's rooted in neurology. His brain was falling apart, unquote. Robin's body was cremated and his ashes were spread over the San Francisco Bay. For Robin's legacy at the UN headquarters just one day after his death, Robin was celebrated during the opening of International Youth Day with many fans reading passages from Dead Poets Society to honor him on social media as well. There were memorials put up around his Hollywood star and the bench from Goodwill Hunting was also adorned with a memorial. And I think that if you go to that bench, there might be a plaque on it uh, that Interesting. cites it as being that bench from Goodwill Hunting. And like I said, you should the see it. Bench. <laughs> it is an iconic bench. PBS devoted a one hour special to Robin, celebrating his life with friends and fellow comedians. And on the subject of PBS, I, I just want to say like a personal story of this one PBS documentary I had growing up on videotape on a VHS. And it was a, uh, it was a show on animals. And I think that I had a Christopher Reeve one on whales. And oh, that Robin, sounds really nice. And the Robin Williams one was on dolphins. And I watched that dolphins one so much because he's so funny and he's just fascinated by these dolphins. Cause they're Does he awesome. make dolphin noises? And of course he makes dolphin noises. Absolutely. <laughs> he, he talks to them like nobody else. There is a section of Golden Gate Park that was renamed Robin Williams Meadow and a tunnel from the bridge was also dedicated in his name. He inspired many comedians like Jim Carrey, Judd Apatow. It's impossible to name all the people that he influenced, but his improvisational style still lives on in the world of stand-up. The documentary Robin Williams' Come Inside My Mind premiered on HBO in 2018, and a biography was released that same year. Finally, I'd like to end with something Robin said about himself. 40 years in the future from his stand-up act in 1977. He said to himself, you've got to be crazy. It's too late to be sane. Too late. You got to go full tilt bozo. Because you're only given a little spark of madness. If you lose that, you're nothing. Don't ever lose that because it keeps you alive. And that's Robin Williams. He was um, a, an incredible comedian. Seems like a, a wonderful father. Um, tr definitely troubled. troubled. Definitely troubled. Jinx. But he, he's left behind a, a huge footprint in the comedy world. And I'll, I'll never forget, you know, when I heard about the news that like everyone else, it was very shocking and, and very sad. He had an amazing life. Yeah, that indeed he did. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode on the late, great Robin Williams. We will see you next time here at Fatal Fortunes for another person, place, or crazy event. On Tuesdays, we talk ghosts. See you next time. Bye-bye.